You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Without further ado, I don't want to take too much more time. Um, I'm excited. My buddy, uh, Pastor Scotty, is here. Uh, Dr. Scott. Sorry, he is a doctor, but he doesn't like us to tell you that. Uh, he is a good friend of mine and uh, from Scotland, and uh, we've met at Starbucks multiple times. He's a pastor at Grace Chapel here in town, and I just love his heart. We both have a heart for India. I've been to India multiple times. He goes and teaches Bible college, Bible students over in India, and so we have a, a heart for that, and uh, he just has a heart for discipleship, uh, prayer movements, and I love his heart for people and formation, and so uh, we've had incredible conversations at Starbucks together. So please welcome my buddy, uh, Pastor Scotty. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I guess, I guess one of the times that we most often end up talking at Starbucks is when you're there supposed to be prepping your sermon. <laughs> and I turn up and I distract him and then, so I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I'm excited to be here. You know, one of the weird things, when you live in a different country, and then you're in ministry and God brings you from one place to another to work for a church. Uh, like I moved over here, I'm working at Grace Chapel. I don't get the opportunity to go visit other churches in town because on Sunday I'm kind of busy. So this is officially the first time I've ever been at a different church in Wilsonville. And so I'm gonna be able to, when people come at Grace, I'm gonna be able to say, you know, I have been to one other church in town. It's called Hope Assembly. It's awesome. And the preaching was incredible. So that's, uh, that, that's what we're gonna do. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I was born in Scotland. I moved out here 2006 uh, to go to Multnomah. I was there for four years and I was there with Jordan. Um, so we've known each other quite a long time. Um, I met my wife at Multnomah. We got married. So we've been married 10 years now. Um, and we moved right after we got married. We moved back to Scotland. We were there for three years. We moved to central England for three years. And then four years ago, we moved back here. Um, and then somewhere in the middle of all that, there's three children appeared um, a seven-year-old daughter, a four-year-old son, and a 15-month-old daughter. And you know that 15-month number really matters. The months matter when they're that small. Um, but they are keeping us extremely busy. Um, and so, so that's just a little bit about me, who I am and what I do. Uh, so 24-7 prayer is something that I care a lot about. Um, and as I was thinking about this, there was a story that came to mind. I was thinking about my first ever experience with 24-7 prayer. And so um, just picture this for a moment. I was back in Scotland. We just moved from here back to Scotland to work with our church plant over there. Um, and I had a friend, a person I befriended over there who would set up these kind of pop-up 24-7 rooms, sort of like what you're about to experience. And so he'd pick a church. He'd ask if he could set up a prayer room. And then that church would kind of spearhead and different people from all the churches round about would gather in this room in one hour increments, pray around the clock, and this was kind of Sam's favorite thing to do. Um, so when I meet him this one day, he tells me, um, you know, we've got this prayer room going. The hard part is all the through the night slots. So from like midnight through to 6 a.m., he's like, basically this guy, Sam, was sleeping overnight at the prayer room and filling in every slot that someone didn't turn up to during the night. So this is a hardcore guy. And so he's like, hey, would you be willing to come and take a slot in the middle of the night? And so there's a picture going up here of, of a church. So picture this, it's 1.30 in the morning, 
in Glasgow, Scotland. So it's, it's kind of like here in the middle of the winter. It's cold, it's dark, it's miserable. Usually the ground glistens because it's been raining at some point during the night. And I'm cozy in my bed, really warm. We're in an old stone, 180-year-old building in, in, in Glasgow sleeping. And so I'm in my bed, it's roasting. My alarm goes off at 1.30 in the morning. I wake up, I can feel the air is freezing. When the air outside is freezing and your bed is really, really warm, you do not want to get out of it. You know that feeling. And so here I am, I'm lying in bed, I'm cozy, my alarm goes off, and I'm like, okay, I gotta get up. So I get up out of bed, I get my clothes on. And what's important to know is in Glasgow, um, it's kind of like living in downtown Portland, you can survive without a car. So my wife and I didn't have a car for the three years we were here. So what this means is at 1.30 a.m., I am getting up to walk 30 minutes in the middle of the night in the dark, freezing cold, down these really sketchy parts of town um, to get to this prayer room. And so I go walking down and, and you know, we've lost the art of pilgrimage uh, in our culture and our part of, of the, the global church. Um, but when you step out of bed in the morning or in the middle of the night to go to a prayer room, there's this pilgrimage takes place as you start the journey from where you are to this prayer room. And so as I wake up, as I'm walking down the street, I'm praying. And I'm praying in preparation for getting to this room that I have no idea what it's going to be like. Um, but if I'm being really honest, half of the prayers were, please don't let someone jump me on the way down the street. This is a really awkward part of town. This is kind of dangerous. I'm here alone. God, get me to the prayer room safely. So I arrive uh, at this church, big sandstone building. It's a Church of Scotland, Presbyterian church. Uh, I make my way up. I knock on a door. Um, I stand there in the dark at the back of this church with a little 24-7 sign on the door, wondering if anyone's going to open the door. And then lo and behold, the door opens, someone welcomes me in, uh, and, and they, they kind of, they, they say some little greeting, they walk me in. Remember, it's now two in the morning. Um, we walk through this church, through the worship center, to this tiny little room at the back, um, and they go in and they kind of gather up their stuff, and they say, have a fun time, and they leave. And here I am at two in the morning, in the middle of freezing cold Glasgow, in a church I've never been in before, in a building I don't know what to do with, um, and here I am left alone for a couple of hours um, to talk with the Lord. And it was a, a, it's an experience that has uh, completely changed my prayer life from then on. I walk in this room and I look around and I just remember it was tiny and it had low ceilings. I remember this tiny little room and I just remember they'd hung like curtains everywhere. So there are all these colorful curtains hanging with these little nooks to go hide in. And I remember these like, like Ikea multicolored pastel pillows all over the floor. I remember maps on the wall. I remember artwork. And I remember these hand-scrawled prayers that people had put on the wall crying out to God to move in our city. Um, and, and I went in and I just kind of dropped my stuff on the side and I got like very quickly centered on God. And I started walking around just overwhelmed by all of the things I was seeing and all the prayers that I was seeing. I just started crying out to God and echoing the prayers that I was seeing on the wall. And then as I'm there and I, I, I'm praying, I hear a, like the doorbell or the knock on the door and I grab my phone and I'm like, why is someone coming in the middle of my prayer time? And I grab my phone to find that two hours has passed and I had just been lost for two hours, pouring my heart out to the Lord. Um, and so moving back here, like pr prayer rooms, the experience I've had in them, the way I've seen it change people, the answers to prayer that I've seen come out of prayer rooms is why I'm so excited to see what you're about to step into. Uh, and, and more than that, I'm excited when one group of people gathers to pray, 
I'm extremely excited to see what God's about to do in Wilsonville as Hope Assembly spearheads the churches in Wilsonville gathering together to call God's power to bear on this city and beyond. So um, I, want to, I want to launch with uh, just putting an image in your mind that I want you to have as we think about prayer. So that's one image, but um, I have a picture up here of, of a flame. Um, I uh, am a bit of a pyromaniac. Any other pyromaniacs in here? We love our fire. Um, I love the biblical image of fire. I think it's this beautiful uh, theme that runs all through Scripture um, that represents, represents so much of our intimacy with God. And I think it's a great image when it comes to thinking about what God's calling us to and being people of prayer. Um, so you can think right back to Genesis 1 um, as, as God is creating. And what's one of the things he does in creation? He speaks, let there be light. And then he breathes this giant fireball called the sun and puts it in the sky to govern the day. Um, you move forward into Exodus. You've got Moses as, as he encounters God in this burning bush where, where the fire is there, but the bush is not being consumed in this weird moment where God is called to lead God's people. Um, you can fast forward as the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness and they're following this pillar of cloud by day and this pillar of fire that's their guidance at night. Um, you can keep going further on. You can think of things like the Elijah and the prophets of Baal with fire pouring down from heaven. Um, you can fast forward into uh, the, the New Testament, Pentecost, as tongues of fire descend from heaven and land on the disciples and set them alight to establish a movement that we're now part of 2,000 years later. You can even go all the way to Revelation at the end as these bowls of fire are poured out in judgment over our world. So fire is this huge theme that happens all the way through Scripture that depicts who God is and how he works in this world. So the next picture up here is a picture of a bonfire. And when it comes to prayer, there's kind of this spectrum of ways that, that we uh, talk about prayer and experience prayer. So one end of the spectrum is this image of a bonfire. This is the, the description of God as the consuming fire. So when you think of a, a bonfire, we think of raw, ferocious power. It's untamable, it's dangerous, it's unpredictable. Um, when I think about this, I, I come back, I've been reading through the Narnia series with, with my daughter at the moment, um, and we just finished The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I think of that line as, uh, as the kids are talking with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and I think it's Lucy asks Mr. Beaver, is Aslan safe? And, and the reply is, he's not safe, but he's good. And I think that's this image of a roaring fire that when we're in prayer, we're coming in contact with this raw power source, this God who's a consuming fire, this God who holds the whole world together, this God who, with one breath from his mouth, threw everything that we know into being, this God who, with one word from his mouth, can wipe out our lives or completely eradicate the struggles and the suffering that we're dealing with. This is the God who's able to resurrect people from the dead, He's able to defeat sin and defeat death and bring us into union with him. 
So when we're talking about prayer, we're talking about brushing up against this bonfire God who wants to release that power in us to transform us, to refine us, to purify us, but then invites us to partner with him in calling this fire to bear on the people around about us. So the bonfire prayer is an invitation for you, Hope Assembly, to invite this bonfire to light you as a church to transform you and to pour through you into the city round about us. So that's one end of the spectrum. Um, but fire is, is interesting because we think of it so differently depending on the context. So we've got another picture over here of a different type of fire, and this is a candlelit dinner. And fire and candlelit dinners have come to stand for intimacy and connection and romance and so on the other side of the prayer spectrum is this invitation to encounter God at this candlelit dinner. What, what, did, what, what is the intimacy of a candlelit dinner? It's a space of connection. It's a space of revelation. As you sit down with someone that you love, you gaze into their eyes across the table. You might even hold hands and be all cute and sappy at the table. And it's a place of revelation as you disclose who you are to someone else. You tell them the deepest parts of your life. You tell them your brokenness, your hurt, and they reveal to you who they are and what they carry and who God's made them to be. And you exchange these truths of what you see in them and you talk about how beautiful they are and their eyes like pools of moonlight and all that stuff. Um, I'm not a poet. <laughs> um, but this incredible place of intimacy. And so I want these two images in our minds as, as, as I continue talking about prayer. Is this invitation, first of all, to this place of intimacy, this place of deep inner connection with Jesus, where everything about who you are is laid bare before him, where you're experiencing revelation from him about who he is, about what he created your life for, about the purpose he intends for you, and about the incredible things that he's able to do through you. But it's also this invitation to stand in connection with this raw power of God to be transformed by him, to be burned up by him, to be set on fire by him, and then to partner with him in bringing that transforming power to bear on your church and in the city and in the world further afield. I've got a last picture that I want to put up here. And, and this for me, you know, getting to travel the world, I get to see people engaged in prayer all around the globe. When it comes to the Western world and when it comes to us in prayer, I think this is the image of what we're like as prayer people. This is uh, an electric, is it there? <laughs> Little battery operated tea light. Somehow and sometimes I think this is the best image to describe the way we engage prayer in the West. You know, no one loves going to a candlelit dinner when what's sitting in front of you is a tea light. You can't burn a napkin or melt a plastic spoon on an electric tea light. Um, but this represents, you know, our intimacy with God changed into this plastic imitation. It represents the ferocious power of God that wants to work in us, transformed into this safe way of experiencing him. Um, and so God wants to invite you today. He's inviting me, he's inviting us, and he's going to be inviting the churches in Wilsonville to step away from this fake version of intimacy and power, to experience this ferocious bonfire and this candlelit dinner that he has sitting in front of you. So, um, first thing I want to say after all of that is, 
Prayer is to Christianity what breath is to life. Prayer is to Christianity what breath is to life. If you got no breath, you got no life. If we've got no prayer, we've got no Christianity. And I think a lot of us pass off our intimacy with Jesus or our experience of Christianity. It's a prayerless experience. And if your experience of, of your faith is a prayerless experience, then you've got to ask the question, what is this thing that I'm walking in? So I want to invite you today to consider your life as a journey of growing to become a person of prayer, to have your life consumed by that fire, to have your life captivated by the intimacy of gazing into the eyes of your Savior, um, and to be filled with the life that he wants to fill you with so that you can carry that to the people around about you as you become instruments offering life to them. You know, John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is this strange thing because in engaging prayer, you know, prayer is as simple as turning your attention towards Jesus. You don't need to say a word. You don't need to do a thing. As soon as your heart turns towards Jesus, prayer has begun. So it's the simplest act that we can possibly engage in. You're already in prayer because you turned your heart towards Jesus when you left to come here this morning. As we engaged in worship, you turned your heart towards Jesus. So everything we've done is prayer. But in the moment that we choose to enter into prayer, we make these powerful declarations to the world round about us. We make the declaration that apart from him, we can do nothing. We make the declaration that this world needs him in order to survive and to thrive. We make the declaration that for his word to have the power that it has to have, we have to be connected with him through the power of the Spirit. So every time we turn our heart to him in prayer, we're making these declarations that we need him at work in our lives and through us. You know, you can get up in the morning, you can grab a Bible. This amazing thing happened that God gave us these bodies that are like an energy pack. It's like a battery pack. And each night you go to sleep and you recharge this battery pack. With this energy source that he's given us, we can do lots of things. You can wake up in the morning, you can open a Bible, you can read the words God's given as an intellect. You can read those words, you have an understanding of them, all just using this ability that he's given us. The word of God transforms from a book and some information that we read to the life-giving power of the spirit when we engage those words with prayer. Because prayer opens our heart to receive those words in a way that transforms us. You can serve. You can get up in the morning. You can make some sandwiches. You can give them out to the homeless. You can come here. You can set up chairs. You can do it all using this energy pack that God's given you. And you can do it devoid of him. The minute your heart turns to prayer, you take this energy pack, you submit it to him so that the, the source and the motivation of what you're doing is him, his love, his power, not your own ability. Um, you can wake up in the morning, you can go to work, and you can have an experience of your workplace as a, a godless environment. You do your church thing on Sunday, you do your devotional time in the morning, and then you go into the world um, where we're separated from God. Prayer means that when you wake up in the morning and you get in your car, you're on a journey with him. Well, prayer turns the work that you're doing into an opportunity to encounter intimacy with Jesus as you partner with him in, in the work that you do. And it transforms your work environment into sanctuary of his spirit where he can move through you into the lives of the people around about you. 
So we have an option. We can be prayerless people and go through life, reading the word, doing the things that we're supposed to do, attending our job, or we can allow him to make his people of prayer so that every moment of every day of your life is an opportunity for intimacy with him and a, a posture where you're available for him to pour his power through you to transform you into the people that he's placed around about you. You know, we are designed for partnership with God. Um, and I don't know, I feel like I never got told this uh, in, in my upbringing in the church. I, I understood that we're supposed to be worshiping this guy. I missed the understanding that we are created to live in partnership with him. So you jump back to Genesis chapter one and two, God creates this world, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, in this loving union for all eternity, all of a sudden decide they're gonna create this world. Why do they create it? He creates everything to create an environment for these people that he was gonna create to live in. So we read all the way through, he creates Eden, he creates Adam, he puts Adam in the garden, and why is Adam there? He's there to live in union with God, in intimacy with him, and in partnership with him, and doing the work that God's commanded him to do. Um, it's not good for him to be alone, so he makes Eve, and, and he puts them together to, to lead in this garden together. And he says to them, here's what you have to do, rule over everything, subdue it, have dominion over it, and then he blesses them, be fruitful, multiply. And theologians say, if the fall hadn't happened, that Adam and Eve would have lived in this garden, they would have taken what they experienced of God in the garden, of his rulership, and they would have slowly spread the boundaries of the garden over the face of the earth. That they were to live in partnership with him and bring what God had created in that space to inhabit all of the earth, and they would have kids, and they would raise them in intimacy with God to continue to expand this work. But we know that the Genesis chapter 3 happens, the fall happens, the serpent comes along. He tempts Adam and Eve to doubt God's word. Did God really say, you can do whatever the heck you want, just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Eve says, well, well, yeah, he says, if we eat it, we're going to die. Um, so the serpent, first of all, is saying, you know, did God really say, doubt God's word? Is God really true to his word? But then he goes on to say, you know, you're not going to die. God's holding out on you. If you eat from that tree, you're going to become just like God, knowing good and evil. So God doesn't really care about you. He's holding out on you. And so armed with these two seeds of doubt, is God's word isn't true. God doesn't really care about me. They eat from the tree. And they set in motion this pattern where Adam and Eve all of a sudden feel shame and they cover up. Um, from, from, they, they hide from one another. They hide from God. They hear God walking in the cool of the day. And they feel fear and they go hiding behind these bushes. You know, this for me is the saddest verse in all of the Bible. Because up till now, I imagine it went like this. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They've been doing what God has put on their heart in union with him. And all of a sudden, they hear God walking in the garden. And they're like, God, look what I made. Come and see. Look, I planted these little things in formation. And now I've got like a circle of flowers. And God's like, that's so awesome. I love it. And then Eve's like, God, look what I did over here. I joined these things together and now I've got this beautiful garland of flowers. And God's like, this is amazing. I love it. And this one day, Adam and Eve eat from the tree. They hear God coming like they have every day. And instead of excitement, there's shame, there's fear. They're aware of their brokenness. 
They have questions about his truth, about his character, about his love, and instead of running to him, they hide from him. And they hide from each other, and they're robbed of the intimacy and the partnership that they were intended for. And from there on, they walk in this pattern of hiding emotionally, of battling with shame, of doing life using their own body independent of God. Um, And that's the pattern that we're stuck in today. And the rest of Scripture is the story of God overcoming that fallen pattern to invite us back into that place of union and partnership that we see most fully in the person of Jesus who comes and everything he does on the earth, he does with his eyes fixed on the Father, empowered by the Spirit. He doesn't do a single thing on earth out of union with him and outside of partnership with him. And so what do we see? We see this deep candlelit dinner with God and Jesus as they experience this intimacy. And then we see the bonfire, fire of God as it moves through Jesus into the lives of the people round about us. So we were created to be in partnership with him. Every person in here, you were created to partner with God. You were created for deep intimacy with him. And you were created for him to take his power, pour it into your life, and then release it into the lives of the people around about you. That's what you're created for. You know, God wants you to release his power on the earth. I think of verses like Ephesians 2, you know, uh, 2.10. You you were created for good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. In advance of creating you, he had works planned for you. And what's that work? It's to live in union with him and then to be a vehicle for pouring out power onto this world. And that's what it is when we choose the posture of prayer. When we open ourselves up to prayer, we are opening ourselves up to be the instruments through which God's power is released on the earth. Do you believe that? You know, right now in your life, there are things that God wants to do in you, things that you may have been asking for, but he wants you to fully surrender yourself to him so that he can bring change in your life. There are people in your family that don't know Jesus. And God is waiting on you, lifting the mantle of prayer and choosing to intercede for them so that he can pour out his salvation power into their lives. There are things that God wants to do right here in Hope Assembly. There are things that he wants to use this church for. And God is waiting on you as a body to pick up the mantle of prayer so that he can trust you with the power that he wants to pour in and through you and trust you with the lives that he wants to bring here that you'll be able to steward. And there are things happening in our city, in our world, right here in Wilsonville. There are issues that need God. And God is inviting us and waiting for us as the church to step up and receive that mantle of prayer and partner with him and pour in his power right here on the earth. You know, John Wesley is is quoted uh, one saying that he had, God does nothing on the earth save an answer to believing prayer. John Wesley, this amazing guy in the church who was instrumental in starting Methodism, and, um, the, his belief was that any time God does any work on this earth, it's in partnership with his people. I think that's true. I think we see it in Genesis. I think we see it in Revelation. I think we see it in the person of Jesus. I don't know if you think about these sorts of things, but you know, Jesus came He lived on this earth. He was a human in partnership with the divine, birthing the church. Then he dies. He's raised from the dead. And now we've got Jesus, fully God and fully man, standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. 
So even right now, God, through the intercessory work of Jesus, is using a human to implement his work here on the earth. God always partners with us. He loves to partner with humanity. It's why he created us. And so he wants to use you with all of your warts and all of your brokenness to release power onto this earth. Your plan A, <laughs> there is no plan B. Um, you are God's plan A. The situations around you need his spirit moving in them. And you're the one that he's choosing to do that. So the, the, the question is, are you going to let him? Um, another truth that I think, this is probably the truth well, outside of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's put that onto the side. This is the truth that blows my mind the most. God has obligated himself to respond to our prayers. God has obligated himself to respond to our prayers. We cannot get into lots of theological discussion. Predestination, free will, how do those things work together? The answer is yes. Scripture is clear that God has obligated himself to answer our prayers. You've got those verses like uh, John 15, 7. 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. It's God obligating himself to respond to our prayers. He teaches us how to pray. He commands us to pray. He says, pray continually. Devote yourself to prayer. Uh, that's Colossians 4, 2. He says, uh, Ephesians 6, what is 17, 18, uh, and pray in the Spirit in, in all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Um, Philippians 4, 6, he tells us, like, it, it, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer, petition, thanksgiving, present your request to, to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, um, or 16, 17, 18, be, be patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He's commanding us to pray and he's obligated himself to respond when we pray. I think that's an amazing truth. Um, when you talk about God answering prayer and obligating himself to respond to our prayer, I'm just going to take a topic and sit it right here and you're going to hate me for it. <laughs> Unanswered prayer is a reality that we face. Let me ask a quick question. Anyone in here who's always had every prayer answered? Okay, just making sure. Um, <clears throat> Pete Gregg, who wrote the How to Pray book that uh, Ryan is recommending, wrote an amazing book called God Unmute. Um, and it is his journey as the head of 24-7 prayer. It's the story of his journey with unanswered prayer. Um, and it is probably, it is the best book I've ever read on the topic. It is one of my top 10 books of all time. Um, so if you're interested in just some explanations and theology around un un unanswered prayer, get God Unmute by Pete Gregg. Um, but God has obligated himself to respond to our prayers. His word is true. We know that. We know he cares about us. So there are other things going on when God doesn't answer the way that we want. I want to <clears throat> root us in uh, Isaiah 62. I'm talking lots of scripture, but I want to put a, a passage up here. And this is one of my favorite, maybe my favorite prayer passage in all of scripture. And I think it's fitting when we're thinking about a season of 24-7 prayer and what this looks like. So this is Isaiah 62, um, verses 1 through 7. And this is Isaiah as uh, God in partnership with Isaiah speaking his words to the nation of Israel. Um, listen to what it says. Think about what this means for us as a praying people 
and just the image of what God can do in our lives through prayer and what he can do for our church and what he can do for the city. Isaiah 62, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, uh, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. See the fire imagery right there. The nations will see your vindication, all the kings your glory. You, Israel, will be called by a new name, that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hands, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you'll be called Hephzibah, which means delight, and your land Beulah, which means married. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married." As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Think of those images, the intimacy of a bridegroom taking his bride, and the power of God transforming the desolate and the deserted and making us places of delight and riches. And then verse six and seven. Isaiah says, or God says through Isaiah, I've posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest. And what? Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. God has obligated himself to, act, to respond to our prayers. What does he say here? that in Jerusalem, he had established watchmen, these people whose job it was to be attentive to what was going on in the world round about them. And there were people of prayer. This is an image where he's taken the literal watchmen that were on the walls protecting them for, from enemy forces. And he's using it to talk about the role of intercession. So what does he say? You who call on the Lord, that's us, give yourself no rest. So you get up at two in the morning, or 1.30 in the morning, you walk half an hour through this crazy part of town, risking your life, not quite, to get to a prayer room, uh, to spend time with the Lord. But what does it say? Give him no rest. He's saying, I so desire partnership with you. I so desire intimacy with you. I so desire your prayers to help move my plan forward that I want you to give me no rest until I do the things that I promised I would do. And what did he promise he would do? He promised that his spirit would change this world. He promised that Jesus would be glorified, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he's the Lord. He promised that our churches would be instruments of his power transforming the people around about us. He promised that this world would become a world where all brokenness is gone, where there's no more tears, where there's no more sickness. And he's saying, give me no rest until you see me establish this right here in the middle of Wilsonville. And so that's why we're going to do this crazy thing where a bunch of churches in Wilsonville are going to set apart a room and we're going to sign up in one hour slots and we're going to walk into this space and we're going to use the tools that are in the room to help inspire prayer so that we can partner as the bigger church, not just one church, but the united church, so that we can partner and call on his spirit to bear. And the beautiful thing is, as we partner with him, he gives us this gift of transformation in us. He gives us this gift of deep intimacy at work in us. 
no, the last, last point I want to put up here, God delights when the church unites in prayer. God delights to answer. Not, he, he loves it. If Hope Assembly gathers to pray, God moves in a special way. You can sit on your own and pray. We can all go off into our own houses and pray. But when we gather as the church, God moves in a very special way. When you take multiple churches gathering together, listening to the Lord to be of one heart and one mind and what he wants to do in a city like this, it is impossible to not see transformation happen in Wilsonville as a, as, as a result of what we're going to do. Um, so <clears throat> there's some invitations that, that I want to give you as we, as we wrap up. First of all, it's an invitation uh, to open your life to be a person of prayer. I think there's lots of ways that we define Christianity. Christianity is about being a disciple who makes disciples, and so it's about out there and doing discipleship. Christianity is about mission. It's about out there and sharing the gospel with those who don't know it. Christianity is about social justice. It's about restoring shalom the way it's supposed to be. Christianity is about teaching the word and hearing the word and learning the word. But what I see in scripture is Jesus has a moment where he defines what the church is supposed to be. And he's throwing tables up in the temple and he doesn't say, my house is going to be a house of worship and we're going to gather and we're going to sing songs. He doesn't say, my house is going to be a house of mission and we're going to go out there and we're going to reach the world. What does he say? He says, my house is going to be a house of prayer because when that peace is in place, all the other things are going to flow. Um, so this is an invitation. Will you allow your body, the house of the Holy Spirit, Will you allow your body to become a house of prayer? Will you commit as your church is walking through this year of formation? Will you commit to allowing uh, your body to partner and submit to the spirit to do this transformative work in you? So that's invitation number one. Invitation number two is an invitation to come to the prayer room. So the signups are going to be coming out soon. Um, as Ryan said, we're meeting to... Thanks for spearheading this. It's going to be awesome. Um, we're going to meet and get all the details of what this is going to look like. An invitation is going to come out. You're going to go on an online sign-up. You're going to sign up for a one-hour slot. There's, there's a couple of pictures on here of inside our prayer room, um, just so that you have a little idea of, of, of what you're walking into. So it's just a room, right? It's a prayer room. So first and foremost, it's a room. But the room is special in that it's a place that we've set, set apart. Something happens in a room when you set it apart purely for the purpose of prayer. And I have so many stories of people that walk into this room, people, the most undiscerning, most far from God people you can imagine that walk in here and go, something feels different in here. Like I felt a presence in a room uh, because people are gathering to pray. Um, there are all sorts of tools, guitars, there's prayer helps, there's prayer guides, there's maps on the wall, there's art supplies. And it's all about expanding your understanding of what prayer can look like. So you walk in here, you have time to yourself. You know, the best way to grow in prayer is to do it. It's not to listen to a sermon. It's not to read a book. It's not to go to a conference. It's just to get in a room alone with the Lord and see what he does. Um, and so that's the invitation that this is. So there's going to be an opportunity to sign up and get to partner in something very special as Christians all around Wilsonville pilgrimage to this room to create a continuous chain, giving ourselves no rest and giving God no rest 
until he does the things that we've been begging him to do here in our city. The last one, um, last invitation is, you know, everyone is called to pray. Uh, but there are certain people in the body who God has called to be intercessors. And you are people who, when you hear messages on prayer, something stirs inside of you. We're people who, when you hear about atrocities happening around the world, you carry it heavily and you can't help but think about it. Um, so the last invitation is, you might be here and God has put a calling in your heart to pick up the mantle of intercession. And so as we're going to worship, uh, I want to invite you to, to respond to God. The way I usually do this is I just like to open my hands as a physical way of representing my openness. Um, I think we, we, we forget that the physical and the spiritual are interconnected. So sometimes a physical act, just like turning your hands over, um, can unlock something in us spiritually. So it's an invitation. Open your hands and just say to yourself as we're worshiping, God, like, I'm in. Make me a house of prayer. Uh, and if you're one of those people who God is, has called to intercede more specifically, just say, God, teach me to pray. And funnily enough, you're about to walk into a series called Let Us Pray. Where are you going to learn that? I want to put my favorite prayer quote up on the board. Um, and the, the worship guys can come up and, and lead us in worship. But this is Pete Gregg in his book, Red Moon Rising, one of my favorite books on the planet. And he says simply this, God is mobilizing an army, but it's a broken army that marches on its knees. And this is the invitation. God is building an army to transform this world. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have our prayer lives together. We don't even have to have all our sin together. We just have to be willing to bring all of us, all of our brokenness, get on our knees and march together. And I promise you, you'll experience an intimacy that you didn't know was possible. And he will use you to pour power in this world in a way that you never thought imaginable. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.